and welcome today. We are broadcasting once again live from Institut Biblique du Québec in the city of Longueuil. So thank you so much for tuning in with us. And I would invite you to hit that share button. Whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, uh, please do that. And that enlarges the audience just a little bit. So easy to do. Uh, maybe you experienced a loss of sleep last night, but the nice thing about online church is you just have to kind of roll over and turn on your device or your tablet or your phone or whatever. So thank you so much for tuning in with us, and we're continuing our Easter series today. What's so big about Easter? Let me remind you of our missionaries. We'll put them on the screen, Don and Marie Jose. Man who are engaged in global leadership training and preparing to do some travel. Whenever these travel bans lifted, they will be doing a lot of flying around and conferences, and they're writing material right now as we speak. Michel and Louis Charbonneau, who are in Port au Prince, Haiti, and EJ Toupe, who is uh, in deep, deep in the heart of urban uh, Toronto, an advocate for the itinerant population, uh, social justice, and all kinds of things. Uh, so pray for our missionaries. Uh, I would remind you of a couple of other things. Wednesday nights, we are uh, doing a, a video Bible study called Cultures in Conflict. If you've ever noticed how difficult it is for you to live Christianly in a non-Christian world, you should be a part of this, uh, this study. The video uh, content is top, top-notch and uh, really helps us to understand the Bible in its original context, which makes it come alive for us. We'll be taking just a break this Wednesday night in lieu of our annual meeting, but we'll pick things up again uh, next Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow night at 7, we have our live Q&A running, and uh, we're doing a, just a little two-part question. Why should I trust... The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, if you are a high school student, a SAGEP student, a university student, an adult who is thinking about these things and questioning these things, this is the ideal time. It is Easter, and uh, we get our information about Jesus mostly from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Bible's New Testament, are these things trustworthy? Are they myths and so on? And uh, this is the type of content that I would challenge you to share with uh, people who are not Christians at all. They will get the facts and understand uh, what the case is for the trustworthiness of the gospel. So we're going to do part two tomorrow night, and if you have any other questions related or not related that have to do with the Bible, God, religion, etc., Join us and, uh, and fire those questions off live, and also I'd encourage you to use the comments section right now, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, and uh, we will take a look at those comments and try posting as many of them as we can. Remember, as well, we have a discipleship uh, a group that's um, uh, joinable through Facebook. This is a private group where I'm working with this group of people and challenging them to take the next steps in their spiritual growth. I give them things to do. I give them little assignments. I give them homework and reflection and all of these different things, and people are getting to know one another and praying for one another and so on. It's a nice little group that's forming there, and all you need is a Facebook account. It is completely private, uh, so you can do that through our Facebook page. Uh, just head over there, click the More button, and you'll be able to uh, to join that group. Thank you for your generosity in 
giving as usual. It's all pretty well, all electronic now, although there are some who uh, mail it to our mailing address. Thank you for staying consistent. It has been a year since we first started doing online church, and I went back in time yesterday to look at the first online service, Sunday service that we did. We were doing things online before, and we were always streaming our messages, but this was like we started to do full services with worship and all that, and so I went back and looked at a, a year ago and compared it to today, and boy, we've really, we've really come a long way, so it's hard to believe that it's been a year uh, but I do have some potential good news for you. We'll put the picture of the movie theater on the screen there uh, so people can see it uh, to my producer. Yeah, so um, the movie theaters are open, of course, but churches, church buildings, places of worship, the rule has been 10 people and no singing. And so we're waiting for things to change. And, of course, there was an announcement on Friday from the province that they're moving up to 25. Woo! So that's about what it was before Christmas. And uh, so 25 people as of March the 26th. So we are waiting to have a discussion with Cineplex to see how we're going to work that out. But it could be, it could be that we might be back in the movie theater as early as Easter Sunday. So stay tuned. I will let everyone know when we know, but it will be great to start to get back together and be in the same place face to face. Uh, but uh, I will communicate with everybody. Uh, make sure you're on our mailing list or email list. And uh, if you can find that ticker, maybe you want to scroll it at the bottom of the screen. If you're brand new with us, just send a uh, uh, the key phrase, reach the one. With no spaces, reach the one to 514-900-0130, and I'll get you on that list so that you can get all of the communication from our church. Uh, if you are a member of this church on Wednesday night, we're going to ha be having our annual meeting through Zoom, and uh, you've received an invitation already to let you know of that meeting. I will send out the Zoom link today or tomorrow, so check your email inbox or your um, uh, your smartphone, and you will get that link. It will be sent to all the members. Now, I know some of you are Zoomed out, and you say, oh, an annual meeting is so boring, and i got other things to do. Um, I'd really like you to be a part of this one. I've got some important things to say about the life of our church on Wednesday night. So uh, if you could join us, it'll probably be for about an hour. shouldn't be longer than that. Uh, but it will be through Zoom, and this is for uh, members of the church. Okay, watch your email inbox for the link. So today we're continuing part two of our series, What's So Big About Easter Anyway? And this is part two talking about the temptation of Jesus. Now in Lent, which is uh, in many uh, church contexts, uh, there's a tradition called Lent, and this is the passage that we're going to be looking at is sort of the key passage for Lent, which is this period leading up to uh, Easter. It's a kind of a period of uh, preparation, repentance, introspection, and different uh, church cultures around the world observe Lent. It's a terrific idea. And today we're going to be looking at uh, specifically the temptation of Jesus. You say, well, what's that got to do with Easter? I mean, last week we looked at the baptism of Jesus. What's that got to do with Easter? You can't just look at Easter and sort of pluck it out of the Gospels and um, and try and understand it fully without understanding many, many other things that take place moving up to Easter. 
You have to understand who Jesus is. You have to understand the significance of his death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection. So you can't just jettison that part out without understanding the Gospels and what they're trying to tell us about who this man is. So we're going to look at his temptation today. And uh, before we get into the text, I would invite you to go on a little journey uh, through these weeks of Lent, as it's sometimes called, and watch what is, in my view, uh, one of the best presentations about Jesus um, that I've ever seen. And it is the free, it's all free, it's all crowdfunded, it's called The Chosen. This is a stream-only television series. Uh, you have to download the app on uh, Apple or Android devices, and you can watch it for free. I would really challenge you to watch this up to Easter, and I'll throw in a little extra. You should share this with non-Christian friends. Uh, they will like it. They, you will not be embarrassed sharing this content. The character development is superb. Their presentation of Jesus is extremely human and extremely relatable. Uh, so this is not some cheesy 1970s Christian production that you don't want to show to your non-Christian friend, okay? This is something you can share with them, and it is outstanding. They have just finished shooting uh, season two, and who knows, that might it, they might start season two around Easter. We'll see. They're going to make an announcement this week, but I would really challenge you. Uh, to watch this. Everybody is online watching something. You should watch this series. It's superb. So uh, we're going to talk today about the temptation of Jesus. I'll put the references on your screen there. This is from Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and Mark 1. All right, it's in three of the Gospels. It's not at all present in the Gospel of John, but it's in Matthew 4, uh, Mark 1, Luke 4. If you've ever seen a movie, a TV show, anything that has to do with the life of Jesus, they always have uh, a depiction of this, this very famous story when Jesus was tempted uh, in the desert or wilderness. And it takes place right after he is baptized in water, all right? If you want to find it in your in your Bibles, electronic, paper. I also have something today for young people. I'd say kids 10 on up. You want to just track with me. I've got some things to show you to illustrate the power of this story and the relevance of this story for your lives as well, okay? It's been so tough on young people. You know, can't, kids can't get together. Young people can't together. So tough, all right? So I want to put this in, a little something extra for the young people today, okay? And adults too. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then, and the then is after Jesus' baptism. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry after 40, 40 minutes and 40 seconds, all right? The 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones looking at stones in the desert, presumably, to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread 
alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, that would be Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. That would be pretty high up. If you are the son of God, same question, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Don't you know the passage? It's in Psalm 91. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, and Luke's uh, sequence is different, but I'll go by Matthew's sequence here. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Luke says, uh, it has been given to me, but I can give it to anybody who I want. He says, all this I will give to you, the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor. If you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Remember, Satan is a word that means opposer, enemy. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. If you look at it in Mark's uh, rendering, Mark chapter 1, he does this in two verses, the whole thing in two verses. And Mark says, at once the Spirit sent him into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. End of story for Mark, very to the point, probably from Peter directly to Mark, Luke, very similar to Matthew, although he, he plays with the sequence just a bit. This is a very, very interesting and very relevant story, of course, because we're all tempted and we relate to temptation. And uh, so we, we, we have an interest in this story just kind of naturally. But there are several questions that we have to answer about this story before we try and figure out what it means to us. It's peculiar because if you know the Bible at all, there's, there's several questions that are probably popping up into your mind. I'll put them on the screens for you because you're probably thinking them or have thought them. Does God tempt? I mean, it says that God led him into the wilderness to be tempted. So does God tempt? Doesn't doesn't James, Jesus' half-brother, say, uh, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone to sin? So does God tempt? Well, is God doing the tempting in this story? No, the enemy is doing the tempting. Uh, God led Jesus into the wilderness, but God did not tempt him. What about Jesus' prayer that he will teach on just a few chapters after the temptation, he will teach on the Lord's prayer, as we call it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil ones. So is that a contradiction? Isn't Jesus being led into temptation? Well, be careful not to take 
the phrase from the Lord's Prayer and take it and sort of apply it here, you're talking about maybe the same language, but two different things. Uh, Jesus was led into the wilderness. He wasn't led into temptation. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted, two slightly different things. If you're looking for a passage uh, about lead us not into temptation, you might well be better off with something that Paul wrote. Um, no temptation has seized us except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will always provide a way of escape when you are tempted. Lead us not into temptation. Provide that way of escape when we are tempted. And you see, Jesus had a way of escape, so to speak, when he is tempted. Why was Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? The Bible doesn't say that God led him into the wilderness to fast. Uh, why was he fasting? And why was he fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? Uh, if you read way, the way Jesus replies to the temptations, uh, there are many clues, especially to the first century people that he's talking to. This is a very curious story because nobody was there. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, they weren't there. Jesus was there, God presumably was there, and the tempter was there. So how did Matthew, Mark, and Luke find out about it? Presumably, Jesus told them in some way or shape or form. So it's very, very curious. Uh, the details that Jesus would have shared with them are relatively, relatively simple. Uh, but again, very important for our lives. Why 40 days and 40 nights? Well, uh, if you're first century Jew, you probably know the answer because when Jesus quotes uh, Scripture back to the tempter, this is his, his defense, uh, three times he quotes from three different passages of Scripture. They're all in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and uh, we'll, I'll show you the passages in a minute. But in the book of Deuteronomy, right around the places where Jesus is quoting from, you see somebody fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Very famous guy. He actually does it twice in one chapter, and it's in uh, the life of Moses. So uh, Deuteronomy comes from a Greek word that means uh, second telling. Uh, basically, what Deuteronomy is is a retelling of the first four books of the Bible. It's like a summary that Moses makes to the people before he's going to die. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, this is what he says. This is why Jesus is fasting 40 days, 40 nights, most probably. Uh, he says to the people, remember this and never forget how you provoke the Lord your God to anger. I'm reading for, from uh, Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. This is not on your slides, okay? Remember this, never forget how you provoke the Lord your God to anger. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Yeesh. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you, Moses is reminding the people. When I went up onto the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, that's the Ten Commandments on the stone. You remember Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, okay? That's the story. The tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made you. I stayed on the mountain, how many days? Forty days and forty nights, and I ate no bread and drank no water. 
Did Jesus was Jesus as fast in the wilderness? No water as well. I don't know, but pretty hard to find water out there in the Judean, presumably the Judean uh, desert. Um, no food, no water. This is uh, Mount Sinai, of course. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. And on them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. The Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made a cast idol for themselves, the famous golden calf. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people. They are stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot their name out from under heaven, and I will make you, Moses, into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. God is angry here in, uh, in Moses' view from Deuteronomy chapter 9. He, and he is reminding the people of what happened. Um, so I turned and I went down, verse 15, from the mountain while it was still ablaze with fire with the two tablets, uh, tablets of the covenant in my hands. And when I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You turned away quickly from the way the Lord commanded you. So I took the tablets and I threw them from my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. Very famous scene from the Old Testament. Then once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for how long? Forty days and forty nights. I ate no bread, drank no water because of all the sin you committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and provoking him to anger. He intercedes for the people and they are not destroyed because Moses prayed. Hmm. Is it a coincidence that Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and quoting out of the book of Deuteronomy three times? Likely not. What he's probably uh, doing is identifying as the new Moses, the new intercessor for the people, the prophet who was to come in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, there's a famous passage about this prophet who will come, verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said, from among your own brothers, you must listen to him. And who is this prophet? Well, according to the book of Acts, the prophet is none other than Jesus. Remember the last thing that was said to Jesus before he went into the wilderness to be tempted? God the Father says to him, you are my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. And so the strategy, we'll put this on the screen, the devil's repeated strategy with Jesus is to attack his identity. So he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, uh, then he says, worship me. He is trying to erode the foundation 
of Jesus's identity, the last thing that was said to him by God before he goes out into the wilderness. One might well uh, be on good ground thinking that Jesus is meditating on the book of Deuteronomy in in this month and a half, uh, that he's isolated out there in the desert, and that he is realizing that he is the one whom God has chosen. He, in his dual nature, he's both God and man at the same time. He is preparing himself for what will come. And the enemy is no dope. And he goes right after Jesus's identity uh, because that's the last thing that was said to Jesus by God. Just to pause here. If he's going to go after Jesus's identity, let me just suggest to you, he will go after yours. And he will uh, try to build a narrative in your head that is constantly condemnatory, negative, low, um, and he will try to sometimes, uh, you know, people will start saying things that are that are just negative about you, kind of in concert, you know, the boss, the coworker, the fellow student, and it's just like constant condemnation, constant accusation, attacking what your identity. Who do you perceive yourself to be? It's a foundational question for a Christ follower. And the enemy, if he's going to do that to Jesus, I would suggest he will do it to you and me as well. That's a repeated strategy. Why? If the enemy can convince a Christian, a Christ follower, um, that they have no purpose in the world, that they shouldn't worship God, that they shouldn't tell other people about Jesus, that they shouldn't be part of a community of faith, that, that, that all of those things are useless and that they have no purpose and that they have no meaning and they're not, they're not going to make a dent in this world, they're not going to make an impact. His purpose is to paralyze that person and to render them, in a sense, useless in the kingdom of God. Because when he does that, and he kind of that mental paralysis that you can experience, then you're not going to do the things and fulfill the purposes that God has for your life. And that's a key strategy that he uses today. I wish it were as simple as, you know, he shows up in a little red little red pajama suit with a tail and a red pitchfork. I wish it was that easy. That's not the way it works. Usually it's years and years of building a narrative in your mind that is filled with condemnation. Just ask yourself the question, who am I, and see how you answer. If your answer is constantly, constantly negative and self-critical and condemnatory to a point where it's just like there's something off the deep end there, Well, it could be that you've bought some of the lies of the enemy in that narrative. And look at Jesus' repeated defense that he uses. We'll put this on the screen. Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.16, Deuteronomy 6.13. He is obviously meditating on the book of Deuteronomy in his month and a half in the wilderness. I don't know if that's the book that you would pick if you were out there in the wilderness, but it's the book that he picked. And uh, so... He uses not his own power to defeat the enemy. He uses the same thing that you and I could use, the scripture. And now these temptations that uh, happen to Jesus are quite unique 
quite strange in some ways, but quite uh, applicable to our lives in other ways. Um, I'll put this on the screen for you, and this is for the younger people. I'd say probably ages 10 and up would love this. Uh, some kids even younger can handle it. There is a fantastic um, uh, children's uh, fantasy book series by uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, the series is called The Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis was one of the foremost Christian thinkers of the 20th century. I would encourage you to read his books today. His arguments uh, for Christianity are extremely persuasive. And uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this children's uh, a book series, and it's been put to television, film, theater, hundreds if not thousands of times over the years. And the most recent depiction is binge-worthy for sure. It's three uh, big-budget Hollywood movies, starting with The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, and ending with The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And uh, you see these four uh, uh, children in this family, uh, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund. You see the picture on the screen there. That's from the first story where they enter this magical world of Narnia through this wardrobe. And basically what C.S. Lewis is doing is he's saying, what would the gospel look like if it were, if it were seen through the eyes of a child in a fantasy world? What would it look like? How would you tell the story? And this is what he does brilliantly in these stories, worth reading, worth watching for sure. I'm pretty sure you can get them on Disney Plus now, all three of them. If not, you can rent them through whatever streaming platform. But I'm going to show you three clips uh, from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, actually, the last uh uh, film in the most recent series and one of the books in the series. And these are illustrations about the power of temptation. They are jettisoned right out of the gospel story. It becomes quite obvious when you watch it. So uh, let's put the first clip on uh, for everybody at home. And uh, this is this is uh, when these these people or these children are being told that how they have to defeat this evil kind of green smoke uh, that is making a mess of Narnia. Okay, go ahead and play that clip for us. That's quite beautiful. I mean, for a make-believe map of a make-believe world. There is the source of your troubles. Dark Island. A place where evil lurks. It can take any form. It can make your darkest dreams come true. It seeks to corrupt all goodness. To steal the light from this world. How do we stop it? You must break its spell. That sword you carry. There are six others. Have you seen them? Yes. The six lords. They pass through here. Indeed. Where were they headed? Where I sent them. To break the spell, you must follow the blue star 
for Ramandu's island. There the seven swords must be laid at Aslan's table. Only then can their true magical power be released. But beware, you are all about to be tested. Tested? Until you lay down the seventh sword, evil has the upper hand. It will do everything in its power to tempt you. Be strong. Don't fall to temptation. To defeat the darkness out there, you must defeat the darkness inside yourself. Right, so to defeat... We'll see the... I'll show you a couple of other clips uh, soon to show you the different kinds of temptations that these young people uh, face. And this is, again, pulled right out of, the, out of the gospel stories. So when you start looking at these temptations, you unpack them. Temptation number one, uh, we'll put it on the screen. So the tempter says to Jesus, you know, 40 days, 40 nights, no food. If you are the Son of God, Again, capitalizing on the last phrase that the Father said to Jesus in his baptism. If that is true, that you are the Son of God, well then, use your powers to help yourself. Just turn this stone into bread. I mean, why are you wasting your time with this fasting business? You know, you're the Son of God after all. Just take the stone and turn the stone to bread. What's the problem? Don't you have any power? Aren't you the son of God? It, for you and me, this would not be a temptation because we don't have powers to turn stones into bread. But for Jesus, this is an enormous temptation because he could snap his little finger and call legions of angels if he wanted to. He could obviously use his power uh, through the nature of deity that he, that he had to, for that matter, do away with the, the devil's temptation right there. I mean, clearly he's out in the wilderness and making the decision to not use any of his ability or any of his power, but to clearly prepare himself and to identify as being that new Moses who would be the new leader, the new intercessor of the people, and so on. So he's saying, use your power to help who? Yourself. And that is relevant for us because uh, while it's not bad to help yourself, for Jesus, it's about helping others all the time. For Jesus, even this whole fasting thing, this whole 40 days was preparation for what? His public ministry, which was not about himself or serving himself in any way, shape, or form. It was always about serving others. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all men. And so if he's going to listen to what the tempter says and use his power sort of as like a little magic trick to feed himself, 
himself, then what he's doing is betraying his own nature as the Son of God. And he is listening and doing what the tempter is telling him to listen to and to do. Well, who's Jesus supposed to listen to and obey? His Father. (laughs) And his Father certainly is not the tempter. And so Jesus replies, and he takes this verse out of Deuteronomy, man does not live on bread alone. Aha! But on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Brilliant response to a fairly brilliant temptation, uh, but it was all about yourself, Jesus. Take care of yourself. Look after yourself. You are the Son of God after all. This next clip is when Lucy gets a hold of a spell that can make her beautiful like her sister Susan. And watch what happens when she does that, and you will see an appearance of Aslan, the lion who is the Christ-like figure in the series. Go ahead and roll that clip. Make me she, whom I degree, holds more beauty over me. Beautiful sister. As always. Peter! Excuse me, miss. Can I get a photo? Your mother's going to love this. All her children in one picture. Smile! Hang on, where am I? I mean, where's Lucy? Lucy? Who's Lucy? Susan! What's wrong? Come on now, miss. Nice big smile. Edmund, I'm not sure about all this. I think I want to go back. Go back where? To Narnia. Uh, there's Narnia. What's going on? Stop this! Lucy. Aslan? What have you done, child? 
I don't know. That was awful. But you chose it, Lucy. Didn't mean to choose all of that. I just wanted to be beautiful like Susan. That's all. You wished yourself away, and with it much more. Your brothers and sister wouldn't know Narnia without you, Lucy. You discovered it first, remember? I'm so sorry. You doubt your value. Don't run from who you are. Right, you doubt your value, don't run from who you are. And you chose it. Lucy, great lessons about temptation there. Uh, number two, uh, temptation that Jesus faces, if you are the Son of God, then prove it. And this one is really slick. Throw yourself down. Puts him on the highest point of the temple. Throw yourself down. I've even got a scripture for you, Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up in their hands. You will not strike your foot against a stone. So if you are the son of God, prove it. Why don't you just jump? After all, God's going to send his angels. God will protect you. Now, it's interesting. Mark says Jesus was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. That is a very curious reference to Psalm 91 which promises angelic protection even from wild animals. A lion and a bear are mentioned in Psalm 91. So this is a very, very clever, very, very slick temptation. Uh, throw yourself down. What is this temptation? It's the temptation to destroy himself. The temptation, essentially, if he jumps, number one, he's doing what, not what the Father says. He's doing what the tempter says. Number two, he could conceivably die, which would be a trick to make him take his own life, make him commit suicide, self-destruction. Do you know how many young people are struggling with suicidal thoughts? Do you know how high that is starting to get in the province of Quebec and the nation of Canada uh, amongst teens and young people who start thinking about self-destruction because their self-worth is so low? and they see no significance in this life, be careful. This, this can be, I'm not saying it always is, but be careful when, when you feel like you have to prove your identity by doing crazy things and starting to take you know, huge risky behavior that borderlines on self-destruction. Be very, very careful of that. Again, he's going after Jesus' identity and saying, well, prove it. Prove it to yourself. Prove it to me. Let's see what happens if you jump. And temptation number three, this is for worldly power. This is for materialism, pleasure. So he's tried to get Jesus on two fronts with the, uh, with the identity thing. And by the way, you know Jesus' reply to the second temptation. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Brilliant answer. So the devil takes the passage out of context in Psalm 91, but Jesus doesn't play that game, and he's able to quote the Bible in context and apply it in context to his life. So the devil's going to try one more trick. 
And so he takes him to a high mountain this time, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. That's the key phrase. All their splendor. This is materialism, power, pleasure, but it is a worldly power, materialism, and pleasure. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is a different kingdom. It is not the kingdom of this world. We see through Paul's writings, we see through some things that Jesus says that the devil's identified as the prince of this world, the God of this age, the, the, the morals, the views, the ethics uh, of this broad world and culture are all somehow colored by the narrative of the enemy we're taught in the New Testament. And he's the prince of this world, power, materialism, greed, pleasure, self, all of these things. And he says to Jesus, all of these things, look at how, I mean, look at all this gold, look at all this silver, look at all this power. Maybe he showed him Caesar's rule which would have been very appropriate to show him. Caesar was worshipped as God and called the son of God. Maybe he showed him all of what Caesar had and all of his wealth and all of his control and all of his pleasure. And he says, all of this I will give to you. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of serving God? Aren't you tired of this fast? I mean, live a little. Enjoy a little bit of pleasure. I've got it all. I can give you anything you want. I can give you whatever worldly kingdom you want. Why you need to serve God? Why don't you just serve me instead and I'll give you everything you want? It's a very, it's a very slick temptation. And look how Jesus responds away from me, Satan, is he's had enough. For it is written, worship who? the Lord your God, and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and to attended to him. Watch this last clip before we finish up today. This is Edmund in front of worldly power, worldly pleasure, and how he is tempted. What are you staring at? Yeah, thank you for the notice. Uh, that part of the stream, hopefully it didn't stop it. Uh, if we could, if it has stopped the stream, please let us know and we will go live again. But uh, sorry about that. Even though we bought the rights to it, YouTube doesn't either know or care. <laughs> so they have, they have decided to block it. But anyway, uh, I would recommend to you that you uh, watch the Narnia series, especially if you have young people in the house. Uh, really, really powerful lessons uh, about the Gospels and uh, about temptation as a whole. What do we learn from all of this? Well, temptation is very real for you and very real for me. And if it happened to Jesus, uh, it's going to happen to us. What is his response? You learn, you know, you apply the word of God and you depend on, as we sung, 
you depend on God in those moments of temptation. I'd like the band if they would uh, go ahead and start playing, and I'm just going to pray for you, and then they're going to lead us in a song, and as they usually do, they're going to play a little bit before we stop the stream. Father, we thank you today for the great, great lessons that you teach us. And uh, uh, wow, uh, Lord, all of us understand uh, the power and the reality of temptation. And we can relate in some shape or form, even to what Jesus went through in his own unique way. Uh, I, I thank you, God. The author of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way. Like us, like a man, like a person, he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. So, Lord, we're so thankful for our advocate today. We're so thankful for Jesus who justifies us, who forgives us for our sin, the new Moses who intercedes for us who uh, goes to God on our behalf. We're so glad that we can come to you, Jesus, and say, forgive me for my sin. And you do over and over again, and you wipe our slate clean, and you purify our hearts. So, Lord, we confess our sins to you, and thank you. You are faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. And God, I pray on behalf of those watching and they don't even know you yet, God. Don't even understand what a relationship is with you. I pray on their behalf, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and come into my life, Jesus, and wash me clean that I may begin a life with you. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you today. Uh, Simon and Viano are going to lead us in, in a song. And so I just encourage you to keep your stream on and enjoy the music. can be against me. 
for Jesus there's nothing impossible for you when all I see are the ashes you see the beauty when all I see is a cross God you see the empty tomb so when I fight I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high oh God the battle belongs to you fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night oh God the battle belongs to you and almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our God you shine in the shadows you win every battle nothing can stand against the power of our god and almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our god you shine in the shadows you win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God and Almighty Fortress. You go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our Thank you, Simon and Viano for leading us today and thank you for tuning in with us and I uh, look forward to being with you tomorrow night we're gonna do part two of the question about the Gospels and those of you who are members we're gonna have our annual meeting on Wednesday night stay tuned we could be back at the movie theaters sooner than you think I'll I'll send out details to you when I know them God bless you have a great Sunday